Eagles Entertainment. With the 10th pick in the 2021 NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by Life Brand. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and we've got a great weekend of college football championship games to get to here on the show. But first, we're going to start things off with the Eagles director of college scouting, Alan Walking, to talk about the edge rushing position and how do you scout those guys, project them from college to the NFL. Really fun discussion there with Alan to start things off on the show. After that, we're going to transition to Saturday Scouting, where Ben Fennell and Dane Brugler are going to join me. We're going to get through what we saw this weekend in college football, a bunch of great games to get to. Conference championships decided. And also, we've got some more Senior Bowl news. We'll get into all that there in Scout Stories. After that, we've got On the Clock, where Chris McPherson returns to the show. We're going to debate who has helped their stock the most in college football this season as we get ready for next year's NFL Draft. We'll get on that at the end of the show. We'll wrap it up with Draft Mailbag. We've got two questions to get to on the back end of the show. As always, make sure you go on to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. If you've got a question, a mock draft, position rankings, whatever it is, you can throw it all over on our Apple podcast page. We will break it all down. And as always, make sure you are subscribed to the show. Get the show sent to your podcast device twice weekly, every week, up through the NFL draft next spring. That said, let's get things rolling. Excited to catch up with Alan Walking here for Scout Stories. Pull up a seat. It's time for Scout Stories. All right, well, let's get going here with Scout Stories as I welcome in the Eagles Director of College Scouting, Alan Walking, to talk through pass rushers. Yeah, on the outside, we call them edge rushers, depending on a team that uh, Scout works with here with the Eagles. This is a defensive end. Alan, thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Thanks for having me, friend. So let's talk through pass rushers. It, it's obviously a, a really high-profile position. Uh, everybody's looking for ways to be able to get after the quarterback. How is, what is the toughest part about projecting those guys from college to the NFL? Yeah, from from college, you know, I think probably alignment and usage can be tricky. Mm. You know, how his college team is using him, um, and then translating how a guy wins in college versus how he's going to win in the NFL versus NFL caliber blockers. Mm. Um, you know, I think a, a good recent example uh, might be the Miami rushers from this draft. You know, Rousseau moved around. There's production inside. Uh, where you saw Phillips, he kind of won in more traditional ways with a more immediately applicable rush uh, variety. So I think it's just it's it's taking those things into account and trying to figure out, you know, how that kind of projects to our league. Yeah, and I guess it's interesting too because you're seeing those guys, you know, for for the upperclassmen, you're seeing them at all star games and trying to get a sense of like, all right, well, this guy won inside, he won outside, but the ways that he won in college are those going to be able to translate to the NFL. That's right. And who he's winning against, right? right. Yep. Yeah. Sure. So let's get to the next part here. And I think that this is a big one for our listeners is trying to separate what makes a, a solid rusher different from a good rusher or a good rusher from a great rusher. What are some of those differentiating factors for you in your mind at that position? Yeah, I, I think as we talk through some <clears throat> some positions, instincts are going to be a common theme across the board uh, for edge rushers, specifically length power and bend are critical um, guys who can create vertical pressure uh, and guys who can change edges while they're gaining ground. Um, I tend to like guys who can win with power. Uh, if a rusher can take your midline and go directly through the blocker, he's typically going to impact the pocket more consistently. It's the shortest path to the quarterback. Um, you know, Brandon Graham is a good example of a torqued up rusher who can overwhelm blockers with power, just get underneath them and really impact the pocket. So I think that's kind of what 
the differentiator is uh, from for the really good ones. We've talked about that a little bit on this podcast over the course of the last like year, two years. Is like uh, when you try and separate power rushers from speed rushers. Obviously, you have combo guys that can win in multiple ways, but uh, especially in today's game with bubble screens, RPOs, you know, all the w- the ways the ball gets out of the quarterback's hand fast. You want to get from A to B as fast as possible, and like you said, that the fastest way to that is a straight line right to the the offensive tackle. Absolutely. And it's great to have speed, but if you have speed and you can't convert to power, you know, the offense can typically find answers for you. At least that's my opinion. Is there a a piece of advice that you've gotten from, uh, whether it's a fellow scout, whether it's been from a boss, whether it's been from a a defensive line coach, when it comes to evaluating this position that that has stuck with you most over your career? Uh, we, We have such a good group. Um, of scouts and coaches, you know, I think on our staff, Jeremiah Washburn Mm. has been a great resource. Um, He's super knowledgeable and he can speak both languages on the coaching side and personnel side. Uh, You know, in our scouting group, Jim Ward is a guy on our staff who's got a great eye for line play. He's got a really developed understanding for leverage points and how guys win. You know, what I mentioned before about um, gaining ground and changing edges is something that uh, Jim emphasizes. Um, and I think as you watch good rushers inside and out, you know, how they move their feet through contact and their ability to create vertical pressure, you know, that's something Jim's always emphasized that's kind of uh, rubbed off on me. But we have a great staff when it comes to, to that. And we have a lot of conversation uh, amongst the group. What is it that that looks like when you're talking about like changing edges uh, for a guy at that position? What, what exactly would that look like on film? Yeah. So essentially it's, if you can get a guy moving backwards and you're on one shoulder and you're trying to get to the other, a lot of times guys will move laterally across the blocking surface, but they're doing it while, uh, without gaining ground vertically. So if you see a guy continuing to press the blocker back and he slides across face and the feet never stop, you know, you don't see these lateral steps, you see vertical steps. So while they're continuing their path, crushing the pocket, they're able to move from, let's say, inside shoulder to outside shoulder. Um, that's so difficult to defend. It's very difficult to do, too. You know, you look at a guy like Fletcher Cox. He's maybe one of the, the few guys who can do it. Chris Jones does it well. There are a few guys, I think, that you can watch the tape, and you'll see a few examples um, each game. But um, it's it's very difficult to do. So for, I guess for the, the viewers, it's like uh, your, your hands and feet are working together simultaneously, independently from each other. So you're still gaining ground while still trying to win at the top of the rush with your hands. Absolutely. The coordinator rushers like that, when it all kind of works in sync, it, that's, uh, you know, th- those are good pictures. Alan, this has been awesome, man. Thanks so much for shedding light uh, on the past rushers for us here on the Journey of the Draft podcast. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks. Well, great stuff there from Alan. And, and to me, some of the big takeaways was it's very similar to what Ian Cunningham said last week, talking about the defensive tackle position in uh, how it's the big thing with defensive linemen is understanding what they're asked to do, the roles that they play within their scheme and uh, all the variety you see at the college level. So I thought that that carryover from defensive tackle to edge rusher, I thought that that was notable. Also, the separating factors, talking about that combination of length, power, and bend, and uh, even kind of looking at Brandon Graham and uh, those kind of power rushers who can rush the midline and be able to push the pocket, uh, get from A to B as fast as possible. I thought that was notable there uh, from Allen. And then uh, also to him just kind of uh, throwing a a little bit of a bouquet there for uh, Jeremiah Washburn and Jim Ward on this scouting staff and the impact that they've had on him and uh, looking at the the ability to change edges as a pass rusher and and what that means, what that looks like. I thought Allen really painted a really good picture there in your mind. I hope you guys all uh, took the same notes that I did uh, coming out of that conversation. That said, uh, let's transition into now what we saw this week in college football. We're going to start things off with Saturday Scouting. 
Hey, Eagles fans, get ready for the game each Sunday with an exclusive look at Eagles pregame warmups brought to you live each week. When you join myself, Amy Campbell, and Eagles insider Dave Spadaro on the kickoff show presented by Exalta, we provide Eagles focused analysis, late breaking news, and the team perspective that you cannot get anywhere else. The kickoff show presented by Exalta can be seen live 50 minutes before kickoff on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, and the team's social media channels. It's time for Saturday Scouting. All right, guys, let's dive in now to what we saw this week in college football. Let's start with some of the uh, the latest news on the wire here as we get into uh, some senior bowl acceptances. And we'll start uh, with Georgia running back James Cook, a bunch of Bulldogs here uh, being announced by the senior bowl Sunday night into Monday morning. Uh, Dane, let's go to you first here for James Cook, Dalvin Cook's younger brother. Yeah, I feel like I'm in the minority a little bit, but Cook's my top senior running back. Um, I think he's exactly nice. what a lot of NFL teams are looking for in, in today's NFL. He's got that lower body fluidity, the quick feet, the block recognition. So he can gash defenses on the ground. He doesn't have the the best run power, but he's tough, and his feet are outstanding. But the thing that's really going to reel in teams is the pass-catching skills. He can motion out. He can be a dynamic receiving threat. He's undersized. I'm not sure he's going to be north of 200 pounds, probably right around that 200-pound mark. But as a complimentary back, he can be that Tony Pollard type of weapon. And we've seen what he's been doing in Dallas. Cook has that type of potential. Uh, I, I, he's a really good player who I think is overlooked in that Georgia backfield with Samir White and that, that other running back they have is underclassman. So uh, if given the chance to be uh, you know, in that perfect complimentary role, James Cook's going to be a good pro. Yeah, and brother of Dalvin, he's got the same type of juice that Dalvin does, just in about a 20 to 25-pound lighter package. But he doesn't have a whole lot of tread on the tires, just under 700 career snaps at Georgia in his four or five years out there. And I just looked to all the other guys that kind of had a hybrid skill set that can really take advantage of the Mobile Senior Bowl platform, whether it was, you know, Demetric Felton last year, that kind of hybrid receiver running back, Antonio Gibson, Debo Samuel, even go back five years, so like a Tyler Irvin. I think being able to just showcase your full skill set, like Dana mentioned, his ability to contribute in the pass game let's see how much he can contribute in the past game he may be more of a through and through slot receiver at the next level than we think yeah and it's uh, a guy that we talked about last week with eric galco here on the show so i gave my thoughts there on james cook let's now transition to a couple of offensive linemen for the bulldogs we'll start with jamari sawyer uh the left tackle ben but uh, a guy that has played up and down the offensive line over his career yeah, he's a really experienced guy. He's got experience at guard. He's got experience at tackle. He's even played some center, some right guard, snaps at right tackle. I think he's checked off up and down the offensive line as far as experience. He was high school teammates with former offensive lineman Andrew Thomas out there. Really, really good size. I think he's going to slide inside at the next level, but I'm glad to see all these Georgia Bulldogs rolling in down there. Seems like they have a really good track, track record with Jim Nagy. Yeah, that versatility uh, is going to serve Salyer really well. And uh, I don't know that you would say the same for Justin Schaefer, the left guard. I think he's only played that one spot along the O-line. But this guy uh, just gets after people, has stood out the last couple of years while studying that offense, Dane. Uh, and I want to come to you and get your thoughts here on Justin Schaefer, the guard for the Bulldogs. He's played a little right guard, but for the majority of his time at Georgia, he's been a, a left guard, two-year starter, 6'4", 330, a much better run blocker than pass protector, which is something that I think really showed in the SEC title game against Alabama. If you watch that tape, uh, I, I think it was kind of a, a microcosm of his overall body of work. Uh, the one-on-ones in Mobile are going to be really important for him to show that he can just hold up in space. We know he has the the strength at the point of attack, but holding up in space, 
being able to, to match defensive linemen athletically, that'll be big uh, during senior bowl practices. Let's go over to the defensive side. Channing Tyndall, the uh, first senior linebacker to uh, uh, accept his invitation here to Mobile. Uh, ben, thoughts on Channing Tyndall? No Quay Walker yet, uh, a guy that I think also deserving of an invite, but uh, Channing Tyndall uh, heading to Mobile. I bet there's a few Bulldogs that are sitting on their invites uh, deciding if they want to accept yet as their team is competing in the playoffs. So those guys are typically late additions if they want to. But Channing Tyndall, the Mike Will linebacker that's explosive, that's loose and long with no career starts for that Georgia front seven. So he's a guy that just hasn't been able to leapfrog the starting lineup, but he does get in there quite a bit behind Kobe Dean and Quay Walker and some of those other guys. The speed, the burst, the explosive movements, the blitzing ability, the read-react, start-stop, violently popping blocks, which, Fran, you know that I just salivate over linebackers that can stack and shed and what I call fight for themselves. Really reminds me of a Devondre Campbell. I'm excited that he's going to show up in Mobile. He is, uh, he is souped up, man. He is violent. He is explosive. He is a, a fun watch. Uh, really, that whole linebacking core, just a really fun study. Uh, let's go down to the backside of this, uh, the secondary cornerback, D.K. Kendrick, Dane, the, uh, the lone member of that Georgia secondary to accept an invite to this point. Yeah, and this is a huge get for, not for the senior bowl, but for Kendrick, because he's a first-round talent, but the off-field concerns, uh, you know, he was booted out of Clemson. He's got some troubles that he's going to have to answer for. Uh, it could be an anchor on his draft grade for some teams, but based on talent, Kendrick, he's up there with Roger McCreary, in my opinion, as fighting for, to be the top senior corner in this class. Sure. The interviews are going to be so important for Kendrick and Mobile. Uh, you know, he's, he's smart to go there. You know, obviously the combine, the pre-draft process, there will be other opportunities for him to interview. The more chances he has to get in front of NFL teams, convince them, hey, I'm still worth an early first round pick. You won't have to worry about me off the field. You won't have to worry about me, uh, you know, making any noise uh, away from the game. As it, the more chances he has to do that, the better for him to convince teams, hey, I still belong. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm top 50 talent and I still belong to go or I still should go with the top 50 picks. This is purely speculation. But I would not be surprised to see him doing some return stuff out there and maybe even a couple receiver drills from time to time. Don't yeah. forget, former five-star receiver, yeah. flip sides of the ball at Clemson. Not a guy that flipped, you know, late in high school or as a recruit, flipped on a, on kind of a pinch at Clemson and has never looked back. But he's a guy with all sorts of athleticism, a little raw at cornerback still. So we'll see what the NFL thinks of him. I like that. That's a good point uh, on your part. Let's now get into uh, the the the, uh, the weekend's action and obviously the Bulldogs in action in this SEC title game. Guys, I watched a ton of football on Saturday. It was a great weekend, a great Saturday uh, for Championship Saturday. And we'll start for me, uh, my game ball. I'm going to go to that Georgia game. Georgia, Alabama, SEC title. I'm going to go to the other side. Sophomore quarterback, Bryce Young. Uh, he blew me away, guys. I mean, uh, not just with what he did as a thrower, with what he did as a runner, but his like his poise and just how like calm and collected and even keeled uh, this guy just seems to remain like nothing rattles him. Uh, there was a play early in the game. It was like a first half where um, he broke the pocket and started to scramble and then pitched it out to the, to the flat, to the backfield. And, and just like, just always aware for such a young player going up against this defense on this stage, 
I was blown away by Bryce Young. Uh, this guy is cool as a cucumber. We could talk about the physical traits, uh, you know, until the sun goes down. But uh, this guy just really, really impressive with what we've seen from him in such a small sample size. Uh, I'm going to be honest, like we were we were debating using for our on the clock segment later in this episode, uh, who's going to win the Heisman. I said, like, I kind of like shut that down. I said, like, I think that's over. I think Bryce Young uh, is the Heisman winner. I don't think that there's much discussion or debate needed uh, after what he did on Saturday. Yeah, he he locked it up. I mean, that would, for a sophomore, two areas that are just really remarkable: poise and processing. No doubt, both those uh, those two areas for his meager experience. I mean, he's a first year starter, and for him to go out there and, and play the way he has, uh, especially in that title game against you know a Georgia defense that was being lauded as you know one of the best ever. Uh, so so impressive. So yeah, it's uh, I, I think if you want to work on your twenty twenty three mock drafts. You might have your first two picks done already with Bryce Young and then Willie Anderson, Alabama one two. Now maybe CJ Stroud or right, yeah, maybe some other guys will have something to say about that. But you can't go wrong with those two players. I mean, they, they look like if they were in this draft class, you know, I think the Lions and Texans and a couple other teams are looking at Bryce Young, saying, you know, why couldn't he be in this class? But um, yeah, those teams teams still might be picking at the top in twenty twenty three when Young will be available. You know, and on a little bit of a different recipe and formula. This wasn't a quarterback capitalizing off the run game and RPOs and things like we've seen Tua and Mac Jones the past couple of years. They had to almost abandon the run game, which the running backs were, you know, 22 carries for a little over 70 yards, yeah. barely three to carry. I mean, there was a third and one where he operated an empty. How many times in the Nick Saban era has Alabama Crimson Tide been third and one and said, you know what, we got to go empty here. We got to spread them out. That Georgia front seven makes you do some things differently. And Bryce Young capitalized uh, when they had, had the ebb and flow to the pass game. And Fran, my game ball, on the other end, a lot of those passes from Bryce Young. Jameson Williams, the speed, the double moves, the crossing routes, his yards after catch, the route running nuance on that double move. He's not just fast, knowing how to use your speed, but nuanced ability and throttling down your paces, your strides, knowing when to burst, checking a lot of boxes in the pass game. And how about another great play on special teams as a punt gunner? Awesome. Yep. I mean, I absolutely salivate over the top players at these programs playing special teams. We saw it last year with Patrick Sertan, our own Devonta Smith in big-time games. Same thing with Alabama this year. The top players play special teams. And it was just great to watch them. All those abilities at receiver play, releases, straight-line speed, stacking that defender. It's up in punt gunning. This is a guy that's going to be running down on punt in the NFL. He's a really impressive player. Yeah. He, and what he did, I mean, we saw that long catch and run on the intermediate route. I feel like we've seen that play like eight, nine times this year where he catches a ball at like 12, 15 yards and takes it uh, 65 or 80 to the house. Uh, Jameson Williams, just a special talent. Uh, Dane, who gets your game ball here this week? You guys went with two Alabama players. I'm going to go with a former Alabama player. Uh, when you think of that Cincinnati offense, I think obviously you think Desmond Ritter, but Running back, Jerome Ford, he's been a key cog in that offensive attack as well for the Bearcats. Uh, against Houston uh, in the AAC championship game over the weekend, he averaged 10.4 yards per carry, 187 rushing yards on 18 carries, two touchdowns. Uh, this is a former four-star recruit at the Tampa area. He spent two years in Tuscaloosa and before he transferred to Cincinnati, and he's really ignited his draft stock this year. Uh, if he comes out, I think he's going to have a chance to be one of the first 10 running backs drafted mm. and it's going to be fun to see him in the college football uh, semis against his old team, Alabama. And something else to keep in mind, he is all-star eligible. So if he does declare, 
I can promise you he will receive that senior bowl invite and could be another opportunity for him to move his name up uh, in the running back rankings. Interesting. That's a, that's a good nugget there on Jerome Ford, a guy who uh, broke off a couple of huge runs there uh, for the Bearcats in that win. Uh, let's now go to our one play takeaways guys. And uh, I'll tell you what, one play that uh, stands out to me uh, from this weekend, Kenny Pickett, that long touchdown run, obviously very divisive play. Uh, the, I think defensive uh, minded fans and, and coaches and players are looking at that and saying, uh, well, like, you know, calling BS on that one. But I think uh, looking at uh, just what he did from not just from an athletic standpoint, but just a, just a savvy play. Uh, and I, I look at Kenny Pickett. He fakes the slide. What was he, 25, 30 yards uh, downfield and then uh, gets the defender to break down and then t- takes off towards the right sideline for the touchdown. Uh, Kenny Pickett, uh, that, that play, for one, whatever reason you want, that's going to stick with me here from this past weekend in college football, Dan. Well, and – Give me a break with the, uh, you know, all the outrage. Like, if it, 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 I mean, exploit the rule. You know, it's receivers, a little bit of push off. Offensive tackles, a little bit of holding. I mean, it's it's part of the game in the margins. And if you can, if it's not a rule, if you can get away with it, it's smart to take advantage of it. And, you know, I, I, if they want to change a rule and say as soon as the quarterback starts to give himself up a little bit, that's when you have to call the play dead. I'm fine with that. But I'm not going to count, uh, count it against Kenny Pickett for taking advantage. And not only the decision to do that, it takes a pretty impressive athlete to kind of throttle down a little bit, make that slide motion, and then pop right back up without losing any momentum. So not just the decision – but the athleticism to pull that off, pretty impressive. My, my knee was sore the next morning just looking at the replay uh, of that play yeah. from the high end zone camera. Uh, yeah, just a ridiculous play. And to your point, yeah, don't don't hate the player, hate the game. You know, you, if you don't like the rule, you don't like the rule. But uh, right. no, no uh, don't kill Kenny Pickett on that one. Uh, ben, give us your uh, your one play takeaway here. Well, you know, we've been talking about Devin Lloyd ad nauseum every week. LB one, lock it, book it, chisel it in stone. He's the best linebacker in the class. Beautiful interception return for a touchdown in the first quarter of the Pac-12 championship game. Great break on the ball. Read the quarterback, the little ball route to the spot. Uh, so I think it was a tight end or somebody run a little spot route over the ball. Uh, same old with Devin Lloyd. It's getting a little boring at this yeah. point. But a guy that kind of reminds me to a T, I just said last week, Fred Warner and all these plays showing up in the past game are just kind of connecting those dots. 6'3", 235 or so, high cut, ball skills, three down player, Devin Lloyd again. There you go. Uh, I like it. Uh, Dane, how about your one play takeaway here? So I went with uh, another Utah player. I went Dalton Kincaid, tight end. Uh, Utah really did a nice job uh, implementing their tight ends to move the football against Oregon. And, and Kincaid, I don't think he receives nearly enough attention as, as a prospect. Uh, he had a 30-yard catch over the middle of the field in the second quarter where he took a lick over the middle of the field, but he held on, big first down, two plays later, Kincaid scores the touchdown. Uh, is it a really impressive few-play stretch for the tight end who I have ranked pretty high considering I don't hear any buzz on this player, uh, at least you know in the, in the media sphere. With NFL teams, I hear plenty of buzz. Uh, but he is a guy that I think is well liked a lot more, more well liked than I think people realize, uh, considering the lack of buzz out there. Yeah, he's a player that you know is really kind of flying under the radar. And obviously, you know, you've got Brand Keith there, 
uh, at tight end. So uh, not a guy that is getting a ton of reps. So I'm glad that you uh, that you brought up uh, Kincaid and what he's done uh, so far for the Utes. Let's now go to uh, some down the road guys, guys. Our down the road freak shows uh, here, and I'm going to start with Alabama pass rusher Dallas Turner. Had a sack very early in this game against Georgia. He's now got five and a half sacks in his last five games. So you talk about uh, former five-star recruit, as, as you would expect uh, with Alabama. Dallas Turner, true freshman. I would expect uh, we're going to be hearing plenty about this kid uh, down the road, and he's really caught fire here down the stretch for the Tide. Uh, ben, let me come to you first here. Uh, you're a down-the-road guy for this week. Well, a guy we've talked about in the past, but I don't think we've talked about this year for his sophomore campaign. That's linebacker Noah Sewell over there for the Oregon Ducks, played his brother, I'm blanking on his name, linebacker for Utah over the weekend. These guys are the younger brothers of Penny Sewell, the lo- now the left tackle for the Detroit Lions. He just had a huge game uh, in that Pac-12 championship against Utah. Interception, forced fumble, nine tackles, bunch of big run stuffs. He's a hulking linebacker that just makes ball carriers go backwards when they touch him. So Noah Sewell will be a true junior next year. He'll be eligible for 2023. File it away. We'll study him in the summer. This 2023 class just continues to add names that like gets a lot of people uh, excited. So we'll definitely uh, near the top of that list. Dane, uh, who's your name for us this week? Well, this is for the 2024 class. Uh, okay. I'm talking about uh, freshman <laughs> Brock Bowers. And I, we've talked about him before. Uh, big tight end for Georgia against Alabama. All right, 10 for 139 in a touchdown. This guy's a receiving threat is so, so impressive. Yep. Uh, not the biggest target, but his athleticism, his pass catching traits are so impressive, especially considering he's 18 years old. Uh, to me, Bowers is one of those one percenters, the, the the guys that could be playing in the NFL this year because they have the traits to do so, the toughness to do so. Uh, it, Georgia did not have a ton to be excited about on offense uh, in that SEC title game. Brock Bowers was one reason to be kind of excited about what this offense can be. Yeah, he's, uh, I mean, anytime you're given a tight end jet sweeps, uh, you know that he's got some juice. And that's something that Bowers has done a couple times here uh, this season for the Bulldogs. Let's now get to the film room recap, a guy that we've studied uh, over the last week or so that has caught our eye. Guys, I continue to kind of churn through some of these all-star game announcements. And one guy that I had not studied yet, but I got a little bit of a heads up on a few weeks back from somebody uh, that had seen him. And that's Montana State linebacker Troy Anderson. And he uh, confirmed he is heading to the Shrine Bowl uh, in Las Vegas. And, uh, Getting a, a little bit of a look here at Anderson over the weekend, this guy is athletic. I mean, he's 6'4", he's like 230 pounds. He's a good-looking kid with really light feet, fluid hips. He's got a short area burst. He can close. He's got range. He's like a converted running back and option quarterback. That's how he started. He was like the, the all-big sky uh, freshman of the year when he first got there on the offensive side of the ball. Led the team in pass. It was the, uh, had like 10 touchdowns rushing as a sophomore. Then made the move over to defense. Now, his eyes are not where they need to be often. Uh, he gets held up by play action, any kind of misdirection. Uh, he could be slow to react to things. So he's still coming along from the mental side. Um, but you're talking about a guy with size and with athleticism. Uh, he is more than willing to come downhill and, and do some of the dirty work at the point of attack. He needs to get better there, but he's willing. Uh, he's a fun player, a really interesting study. He just needs to come along. This is definitely more prospect uh, than player right now. But I think the tools are there to be something really interesting. But uh, Troy Anderson, uh, a really interesting watch there, Ben. Uh, who would be your film or recap for this week? Well, I wanted to dive into Tennessee receiver Velvis Jones. Velvis Jones Jr., uh, who is a USC transfer. He's heading down to the Mobile for the Senior Bowl. And he just has a really interesting college career. Probably didn't go to plan as he had hoped. He was a five-star that everybody wanted. Went to USC and just never really produced early in his career at USC. 
uh, for a variety of reasons. Reasons, you know, early on was stacked behind the deep receiving room. Then 2019 had a hamstring injury. Not to mention a variety of quarterbacks in that lineup with young JT Daniels and Slovis coming on and Matt Fink. But he is an exciting, exciting playmaker. And this year at the Tennessee Vols finally got to show off a little of that after being pretty quiet last year uh, since coming over. But he's six feet, 200 pounds. This is a 10, 5, 600 meter kit. So this is a guy with a lot of explosive long speed, which you could see in his returning ability. There's a couple big plays in special teams, over 500 special team snaps in his career. But he's a slot receiver with good size, excellent hands, yards after catch ability, really competitive blocker, whether it's on some perimeter stock blocks or even watch a uh, kickoff return I had tweeted out where another returner took the kickoff from him. He just led blocked and blasted two players right to the, right to the ground. He's a really tough player. Not a whole lot of production in his career, though. Has eclipsed 100 catches in his career for just over 1,300 yards. That isn't really the totals we like for elite receivers going in the NFL. But I think his best football is ahead of him. He's got good size, good speed, special teams ability. He catches everything. He has eight drops in his career on 150 targets. So a reliable player with good size. I want to see what he can do down in Mobile. Yeah, and you posted some of the clips with him blocking as well, so willing to do some of that dirty work and the special teams prowess, all that. Uh, really important for his value moving into the NFL. Uh, Dane, take us home. Who's your uh, film and recap this week? So I finished my report on Cincinnati receiver Alec Pierce, um, and my top 15 positional rankings are going up this week on The Athletic, and Pierce is among my top 10 receivers in this class. I think he's that type of talent. Uh, he's physical with football. I love his focus. It doesn't matter if he's wide open or he's triple covered. It's the same heightened focus every single rep. Uh, he doesn't have maybe uh, the, the dynamic uh, separation ability. He's still learning how to separate. He has quick feet and he has some of that short area quickness. He's still learning how to separate, but he's long, limber, love the ball skills. He can consistently win when the ball's in the air, still adding some branches to his route tree. But he is a true pass-catching weapon who is at his best vertically, used that springy athleticism. We've touched on him before, former uh, track star, volleyball star in, in high school, uh, kind of a late bloomer with the way he's come out, uh, grown and, and really broken out for the Cincinnati Bearcats offense. But the ball-tracking skills, that's what really separates him, and that's what will translate, I think, to the NFL in a big way. Yeah, we talked about Pierce last week, uh, a guy that can be a three-level threat uh, in the NFL. Well, guys, uh, we've talked about a bunch of players, but as always, uh, we're going to talk about three more. We've got our on-the-clock segment here with Chris McPherson, a critical week here. Uh, all of us tied up. All of us have four wins so far uh, in the season. We'll see who could break the tie here in On the Clock. On the Clock. All right, time to welcome in Chris McPherson here as we go on the clock. And C-Mac, uh, set the table for us. What do we got here? So congratulations to you guys. The regular season is in the books. And since we're looking ahead to the draft, we want to know which player, draft-eligible player, has helped his stock the most during the regular season. And if you don't agree with my decision, for those of you listening, make sure to uh, leave a comment wherever you listen to the podcast. So I believe, Ben, you had first dibs last week. So Fran... You have the honors of kicking things off here this week. Who is your draft-eligible prospect who has helped his stock the most in the regular season? So this one was an interesting topic, and it's one where I kind of went back and forth. Do I go with a guy that kind of pushed himself into the top five, into the top eight, top ten? Or do we go with a guy that kind of came out of nowhere 
and now is it f- squarely in that first round discussion. And I went with the latter mainly because, you know, it, look, we talked about the quarterback landscape uh, all offseason, all summer leading in. And what was the big question we all talked about, the big topic we talked about numerous times here on the show? Who was going to be that quarterback this year that came from relative anonymity? and got himself into the first-round discussion. Now, over the years, we've seen the the Zach Wilsons and Joe Burrows and Carson Wentz's of the world all make that jump, and they've all gone in the top five, top ten. I don't know that Kenny Pickett from Pitt is going to end up in that discussion, but if you find, C-Mac, any mock anyone who says that they had a mock draft from uh, before October that had Kenny Pickett in the first round, I will show you a stone cold liar because there is no way anybody had him in that discussion coming into the season. What Kenny Pickett has done this year, leading Pitt, not only with what he's done on the field, but leading them to an ACC title uh, and now very likely going to be in that first round, you know, potentially the first quarterback off the board as, uh, as Dane had him uh, in his most recent mock, I believe. I think when you t- have that discussion, no one was saying that about Kenny Pickett three, four months ago. And I think that that's a credit to him. It's a credit to that pit staff, everything that they've done to get him to this point. You're getting comparisons to Joe Burrow, uh, the you know the former number one overall pick. I think when you look at Pickett, the way that he's executing, his how cal- calm and poised he is in the pocket. We saw that uh, in this ACC title game. I talked about that big play uh, earlier with what he did uh, with his legs. But I think when you look at Kenny Pickett, uh, he is, he's executing as well as anybody at the quarterback position this fall. And anytime it's, we know that quarterbacks are always going to get pushed up the board this is a guy that was a day three talent had that ability to maybe be the the fifth or sixth quarterback at the senior bowl last year decides hey you know what i'm going to go back i'm going to see if i can push my stock even more goes back and now he's in round one discussion i don't think anybody's helped their stock more than kenny pickett Dane, are you upset that fran doesn't have your mock draft committed to memory uh well i know he does he just doesn't want to admit it so uh, <laughs> i barely that, I, I may have skimmed over it like well you know i may have looked yeah. at it yeah. Now, Fran, going back to Kenny Pickett here for a second, why do you think it took until this year for him to have this meteoric rise, that Joe Burrow-esque rise into potentially becoming a first-round pick, potentially the first quarterback off the board? That's a good question. I think Ben is, has pointed to the fact that uh, he was amongst, and Ben, you, I might need to lean on you for this stat. I believe he was amongst the the highest quarterbacks in the, in college football in terms of drop percentage by his receivers and his pass targets. His uh, his supporting cast did not do him many favors uh, leading up to this year. Uh, they've got some young guys like Addison that are that are really coming through. Lucas Kroll at tight end uh, have really come through for him this year. Um, some of the other freshman receivers are really stepping into big roles. So I think when you look at uh, some of the talent on the back end, that has come through for him. But also, just to give a little bit of credit to Kenny Pickett as well, uh, he has also, I mean, stepped up his game. He was not playing to quite this high level uh, earlier in his career, Ben. And you are correct, Fran. Not just near the top in drop percentage and drops from his receivers, he was the top. So his career at Pitt, the last three years, excluding 2021, the leader in college football in drop passes. And it was always an interesting kind of case study to see Trevor Lawrence in the same ACC conference throw into these big gazelle Spider-Man receivers with these huge catch radius and Kenny Pickett can't get any help on the other side. And there might be one guy out there with maybe a first round mock on him. His old QB coach, Tony Rassiopi has been just banging the table for this kid every summer, putting all up all sorts of drills and clinic work tape with the kid going back to high school. So uh, his old QB coach might've had faith in him. That's fair. Well, in terms of a mock draft, well, I, I don't right. know that Tony's in the mock draft business at this point. 
<laughs> I thought everyone's in the mock draft business. Oh, now, sure. uh, speaking of mock drafts, Dane, I know you did a big piece on Kenny Pickett. I don't know if you're disappointed that you don't get to pick him here in the spot, but who is your selection as the draft-eligible prospect who has helped his stock the most during the regular season? So this is a really interesting question because the word most is very broad. And I think who helped their stock the most? If you're talking about just draft picks, I think the answer is Kenny but, you know, he, I mean, he's gone from, say, a mid-fourth to a mid-first, uh, you know, conservatively speaking. However, I think the answer to this question is Michigan stud pass rusher Aiden Hutchinson, who has gone from a mid-first-round pick to possibly the number one overall pick, which is what I had in my mock draft last week. And I know what you're thinking. There's a bigger gap between mid-fourth to mid-first in terms of total draft picks. But let's talk about that rookie contract. Do you know what the difference is in money-wise between the mid-fourth and the mid-first? It's about $10 million. That, that's a nice jump for Kenny Pickett. He made $10 million this past year. But the difference between being a mid-first-round pick and a number one overall pick, $22 million. That's more than double the difference. So and let's just say, even if Hutchinson doesn't go number one, let's say he goes number five, which I think, you know, I don't, I don't see him going lower than that. That's still a difference of $16.5 million between pick five and pick 16, right in the middle of the first round. So that's still a bigger jump than Pickett in terms of value of the rookie contract. Not to mention, Hutchinson's a defensive lineman. Defensive linemen drafted mid-first round don't exactly receive a ton of attention. Defensive linemen drafted top five, maybe number one. That's more endorsements, more earning opportunities away from football. So who helped their stock the most? I just laid out the dollars and cents. To me, I mean, Pickett has made more of a jump in terms of draft picks because he had more ground to make up. But Hutchinson's ascending play as a senior this year put significantly more money in his pocket, probably over $20 million, possibly over $20 million. No other player in this class can say that. Dan, what do you think, going to the Big Ten Championship and the performance previously against Ohio State, what do you think those performances alone have done to his stock? The fact that the scouts, knowing that he's going to be profiled in these big-time games, that he's shined the brightest. Yeah, I mean, he's the guy that came back for that Ohio State game. I mean, he had an injury last year, and, you know, there are other factors. But he has talked about since, since the summer, Ohio's beating Ohio State, going out the right way. That was number one on his priority list. And he did not let the moment pass him up. 15 pressures against the Buckeyes. And then watching him against Iowa, Iowa couldn't block him. I mean, it was fantastic. It, he, he has really helped himself uh, in, in terms of moving himself from, yeah, a guy that's pretty good to a guy that, Okay, why isn't he number one? Why, you know, what what do we what can we point to that you know to take away from his ability to go uh, at the top of the draft, be at the top of our draft board? So, showing up all season that that's that's great, but showing up against Ohio State, against in the Big Ten uh, championship game, and uh, you know, I'm very excited to see him against Georgia in the college football playoff, going up against that offensive line, that offense uh, that should be a lot of fun. I feel like we have a domino effect going here where. Dane put everyone out there on the athletic to Kenny Pickett to an extent, and Fran takes him number one. And if I recall correctly, I think Ben had Aiden Hutchinson as one of our on-the-clock nominees earlier this season. I know he's probably been a couple, but I feel like he might have been the first one to include him. I'm sure there are listeners who will tell me that I'm wrong. But, you know, maybe Ben's disappointed he couldn't go for Aiden Hutchinson. So, you know, you got the uh, last of the litter here, Ben. Who are you gonna make the case for? Which which I mean, are we've we been talking Pickett for years and talking Aiden Hutchinson <laughs> all summer here in order to properly assess who's improved their stock. So we're talking about the difference in stock. 
from the pre, you know before the season to right now, it has to be a prospect that's essentially a one-year wonder that's come out of nowhere. Their stock had to have been in the basement for a variety of reasons. And while Aiden Hutchinson is going to be a top five pick, might be the first overall pick, like Dane Brugler mocked him last week. He isn't even the most improved on his own defensive line. I mean, you got to go over to David Ajabo, who was probably a priority free agent coming into the year. And now he's looking like a top 50, maybe a first round pick. You want to talk dollars and cents. Give me some priority free agent numbers to first round differences. Now we're talking dollars and cents, but I'm actually going to scrap that and go with another one year wonder in Alabama receiver, Jameson Williams who had 25 snaps played coming into the season on offense. Why? Because he was an Ohio State transfer, didn't get on the field, had 15 catches for the uh, Ohio State Buckeyes in his two years. C-Mac goes over to Alabama, and I don't think I need to give you a whole lot of a, uh, education on who Jamison Williams is now, but that's the point. He's come out of nowhere. He was a five-star, hot you know, recruit everybody wanted. He's finally able to show that now for the University of Alabama, and he has shown it emphatically. Week in, week out, explosive, big plays all over the place, hands, route running, speed, over the top, double moves. Look back Saturday against his performance against the Georgia Bulldogs in the SEC championship game. Where was his draft stock before the season? I mean, Dane, who we love and trust, put out a top 10 receiver list. Nowhere to be found on that one in the summer. So I know his stock was kind of in the basement for a variety of reasons. Now a mid first round pick, maybe even a higher than that. Pretty good improvement on a stock there. So giving me a lot to think about. Going back to Pickett, it's always interesting. I wonder, is it better to be the overhyped quarterback going into the season and to have to live up to those lofty expectations or to be able to come from a little bit under the radar like Pickett has? Dane, I love the argument with Hutchinson being, you know, pretty much a mid-first round guy who possibly could be the number one overall pick and Ben going with a guy who's completely off the board. So I think you guys have taken this argument into three different directions. You got to figure out which one is going to pull me in the most. And I'm going to give the win to Dane this week because I know that we've talked a lot about, talked a lot about Hutchinson and, you know, where he's got, but the fact that he's now in that conversation to be the top overall pick. I mean, it seemed like Kayvon Thibodeau was like clearly going to be the top defensive lineman. And now all of a sudden, all of a sudden, Aiden Hutchinson could be that guy. Well, it seemed like it was a pretty strong lock. So great arguments all the way around. I didn't want to just make this the, quarterback award, the ascending quarterback award, so to speak, for Fran. And, you know, Ben makes a valid, very valid argument. And when Jamison Williams goes top 10, top 15, you know, he can come back and laugh at me. So there you and have tw- it, folks. $22 million. That's the difference between pick 16 and pick number one. That That's a huge, huge, uh, uh, you know, when you talk about improvement, uh, you know, it's great to be able to say you're the number one pick. Financially speaking, $22 million is, is a lot of money, and that's that, that that's a big deal for Aiden Hutchinson if he's able to pull that out and be the number one pick. And I do feel for Dane in this scenario, too. He's, you know, he's up all night with twins. You know, he's, he's a little bit groggy, uh, and, you know, his vision must be going because, you know, when I sent out the question that it's going to be who helped their stock, he read it as who earned the most money, uh, you know, and C-Mac followed through with hey. that. But, you know, hey, you know let, 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 he, let that he, go. He went with the – he leaned into the argument and went, went full bore with it, so – that's exactly it. Yeah, I mean, let's let's be honest. Money, it, it go, it's a part of the draft. Why guys go back to school or maybe come out? And I mean, that that's a part of it. So that 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 should be part of the conversation. Hey, pumping out multiple kids. I just watched King Richard. I think everybody's taking things a little too far right now with trying to monetize that next generation. 
you know, but bringing it to dollars and cents is always important. Hey, my four-year-old daughter's getting a tennis racket for Christmas. So <laughs> it's after I watch King Richard, Will Smith's going to win the Academy Award. I mean, it, it, it's not a bad movie, but yeah, I'm going to get those, get my kids started on tennis pretty She's early. already four. She's behind. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag. Great stuff there from Chris McPherson, breaking the tie between myself, Ben Fennell, and Dane Brugler. Let's now transition to our draft mailbag where we have uh, a couple of questions to get to. Number one, we're going to start off with a comment from Dennis Powers, who left a five-star review saying, excellent and informative podcast for any Eagles fan, especially those like my wife and I who live in enemy territory out in Mesquite, Texas. Thank you so much. So, Dennis, really appreciate the shout-out. Hope you guys uh, tune into the show as often as possible, and thanks so much uh, for being a fan uh, from afar. Really appreciate you leaving that five-star review for us. And then also, Maddie Nice left a five-star review saying, Fran, which All-Star games would you be will you be attending uh, this year? And obviously, uh, Maddie, good question. Uh, it's always going to be dependent on the Eagles playoff run. If the Eagles are in the playoffs, I won't be going to uh, any of these All-Star games. If the Eagles are playing, that's my priority. But if the season is over by that point, my plan is that I will spend a few days in Las Vegas for the East-West Shrine Bowl and then go right from there down to Mobile, Alabama for the Senior Bowl. Going to see plenty of great prospects from all across the country at those two games, the two games by far uh, that set themselves above from the rest of the pack. And so I'm excited to, to attend both events this year. Obviously, the first year in Las Vegas for the Shrine Bowl. Uh, and then I love going down to Mobile every single year. It's one of my favorite trips, one of my favorite things to do. Really missed doing it last year, obviously, due to the, due to the pandemic. Really hoping uh, I can make that trip this January. That said, uh, great stuff from Maddie Nice, from Dennis Powers. And thanks to all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcast here with Eagles Entertainment. We'll be back later this week getting you ready uh, for some bowl season. I'm hoping we're going to have a, a great guest. It's not official yet. I don't want to uh, jinx it. So we're going to have some great guests later this week right here on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by Life Brand. When the clock hits all zeros, the game might be over, but the action is not. Join us for the post-game show presented by Rico for instant reaction. Watch live as Coach Nick Sirianni and Eagles players come to the podium and meet with the media. We will make sure you do not miss a word. Myself, Ike Reese, and Gabriella DiGiovanni will also break down the game live at the desk and hear from Eagles insider Dave Spadaro to get his thoughts. The post-game show presented by Rico can be seen on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, and the team's social media channels.